you, brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, I told John Lindbergh at the ball game a few nights ago that I'm starting a new sermon series on government. I said it's going to be five weeks long. Huh? John, John Vanelder, too. Five weeks on government? You've got to be kidding me. And then he promptly reminded me we have an elders meeting this Tuesday. <laughs> but nevertheless, you're going to get five weeks on government. I'm doing this for one point. For a long time I've preached and we've, we've heard from others that we need to get back to who we were as a child of the people of God. And I've been thinking about that. And I think one step of that is to realize exactly what is government. Who established government? Uh, the purpose of government. And then our roles as believers in this system that God has given to us. And through all of this, we're going to learn some truths of Scripture. And how these truths in Scripture can not only apply to government, but you can look at it in the institution of marriage. You can look at it in, in parenting and living today. And I know this is going to be a touchy subject. And I'm not going to say Jesus is a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or whatever. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. I'm going to walk you through some texts to help you begin to think about government. And the title today is interesting. Yes, government for your good. Did I say that right? Yes, government for our good. You see, God has given to us, it's called two kingdoms, the left-hand kingdom, the right-hand kingdom. One is an eternal kingdom for eternity. The other one is this earthly kingdom, which is here. And in order to live here, as you know, we need rules, laws, things to, to protect us, to keep us safe. But it's interesting, when you look at government overall, this is the major thing that's on the mind of God. All the way back from the very beginning, through the Roman Empire up to today, government has played such a huge impact on the lives of God's people. And it was always on the, the mind of God because he desires us to live in order and in peace. And as we heard in our gospel lesson, in reconciliation with one another, to love one another because he has loved us. 
And so these principles that you're going to hear are timeless. They do not change. They apply to every aspect of our lives. And as I said, a lot of us have deep down convictions about certain aspects of government. And that's the struggle. And so I hope that for a brief moment every Sunday, we can put that to the side and think, well, what is God actually saying? And what does he want from us? And please remember, this is a five-week series, so you're not going to get all of your answers answered today. Because I'm sure some of you might say, yeah, 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 that sounds good, but what if, what if, what about? Well, we'll get to some of those what abouts through the course of these um, five weeks. But what we do have in scripture is quite clear about government. Verse four, it says, for he is God's servant, he, government. He, Christ, working through government, is for our good. So that, like I said, that's the, the title of the sermon, Government for Our Good. Yes, why? Because God tells us. And if God tells us, then we could take that to the bank. So there must be something behind this. The first thing we look at is, where has this government been established? Well, it's quite clear in verse 1. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Well... Yeah, but, Pastor, that was the time of Paul. Paul had no idea what would be going on in 2023. So obviously, Paul misunderstood something here. How could Paul even say that this has been established for our good? Paul made a mistake, so let's just take that out. That's what some will say. But they forget the world that Paul was living in, the Roman Empire. They were nasty. Talk about persecutors of Christians. You've heard of Nero. I mean, Nero set fire to parts of Rome because he wanted to build some buildings. He used Christians as light torches for his evening parties. So yeah, we can say, yeah, Paul, you really did not know what was going to be going on in 2023, but God did. And we say that all scripture is divine and God breathed that 
St. Paul was under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to write. So St. Paul, yes, really did have an insight into just how bad government can be. Because the time when Paul wrote this, he certainly knew what persecution was like, for he himself, too, was persecuted. But yet he can still say this was all for our good. Wow. So does this then mean that we have to like everyone in our government? No. So what is the Christian's response to said government? Well, three things. To be subject, to respect, and to give honor. And when we do these three things, we are showing our loyalty and our love to God. And that pleases God because we are following his directives. I think you can call it to respect the office that the individual holds because God instituted different offices for the welfare of his children, of his people. So yes, government is for our good. So what are you supposed to do within this government? Well, another four things. Commend those who do good. To set an example. When people, when good things are going on, lift those good things up. This is an example of how everyone can benefit and live and try to be at peace with one another. God also gave us government for the threat of punishment for those who do wrong. You've heard that in the second lesson. And essentially that's nothing but the law. If we didn't have a threat of punishment for breaking the law, what would we have? <coughs> Chaos. So in our text, it says we are to commend those who do good. Two, there's a threat of punishment who do wrong. Three, there are those who then carry out that punishment when laws are broken. And fourth is to collect taxes. Those are the four things. Do we like them? No. Why? Because we're sinners. I'm supposed to commend those who do or those who are doing good. Wait a minute, that's their job. That's how they should be as a as a believer. I don't have to lift them up. They're just they they, they, they need to do their job as a believer. You don't know how many times I, I, I hear that. Yes, it is our task as believers to lift each other up and to encourage one another to say, good job. Thank you for being an example. Thank you for doing so and so. Because I think what's going to happen is you, that's going to become contagious. And it's going to encourage others. And perhaps 
Maybe your action of lifting someone up may give hope to the person who's watching it. An individual told me a comment they had about helping someone out in a coffee shop. I had similar experience on Thursday and I just happened to drop my Bible at a restaurant. And it's amazing at how that opened up a conversation with an individual. But then I noticed there were three other people who were kind of at the tables on the fringe who were like, they're kind of, they want to hear what's going on. Nothing but listen to them said that husband was just diagnosed with a rare cancer and then they had a problem with the medical insurance trying to get medication I think we've all been had problems in the medical field and that today so I listened and I prayed and at the end guess who thinks said thank you first it was the woman at the table way over here who wasn't even part of that initial conversation. So my whole point here is that by lifting one another up, we become examples to others. This is what God has given to us as our task and as our responsibility But pastor, taxes are too high. I don't like the laws today. But how do you separate that if the government tells you that you need to do something now that disobeys the direct words of God? This is where Christians then must ask, act. Start writing letters. We start praying for one another. But God has entrusted to us the very words of life, the words of hope, the words of promise. And Peter says, man must obey God. And as I said at the beginning, this is where it's, going to be get, where it's going to become difficult. But yet, I think one example would be as if a, a whole Christian nation would rise up and start acting with Christian principles and motives. Notice this text today, that you didn't hear anything about taking up arms and and going out and fighting in the streets. The task is, is to being subject to others, giving respect, giving honor, loving one another. You know, when I say government is for your good, I'm also saying that deep down, 
There's nothing wrong with the institution of government. Yes, it's being corrupted. Think about this. God gave us this great institution called what? Marriage. In and of itself, it's a blessing. But what do you do when you put two people, two individuals together in close proximity? You've got problems. Give me a marriage. Show me a marriage in which couples do not fight. So the institution of marriage in and of itself is not wrong, is not bad, is not corrupted, because that's been given to us by God. It's the individuals within the marriage where the conflict and problems arise. And my point here is the institution of government is the same thing. It was given for our order, for our health, for our safety. But the problem is the sinful men and women who occupy it. I can keep going on and on, but my point is this. The gospel, or the gospel, the second lesson ended, love your neighbors as yourselves. And that includes all those who are in authority over us. And it's going to be difficult to love them. But we need to set that aside and to think for a moment, why are we called to love them? Notice I'm not saying love what they're doing. I'm not going to pray for Dan because I know what he's doing to get back at this individual. No, I'm gonna pray for Dan because he is a legislator in the state of Washington. I'm praying for him because he's holding an office. By the way, he does not, he's not a legislator. Just that John Strickey is gone and I can't call on John. <laughs> and Dan just stuck out at me here. <laughs> That's the point. Pray for the individual who holds these offices, that God's will will be done, that God's people will be glorified, and that God will be lifted up. Next week, we're going to look at what exactly does Paul mean by us praying for all of our leaders, including the ones you don't like. What does God tell us about that? Let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, what a difficult topic to talk about because there are so many human emotions that are tagged along with it. Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will be with us to put some of those things on the periphery and look at exactly why you've instituted this institution called government. But Lord, we're thankful that you worked through that and we pray, Lord, that you would fill these positions with honorable men and women who look to you for their source of strength and who are willing to look out and to 
to see the individuals in whom they represent and to do what's best for them. Lord, we pray this through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Instead of our creeds, we're going to take three Sundays and look at the Catechism. And today we're going to look at the first article in the Catechism. Frequently in his ministry, Jesus spoke of his Father in heaven. In today's Gospel, we hear him referring to the face of my Father who is in heaven and sharing with the disciples what he knew to be the will of my Father. In the words of the first article of the Apostles' Creed and its meaning, we focus our confession in faith for the loving work of God the Father for us. He has created us, and in his grace he preserves us day by day and season by season. And so we confess together, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven, what does this mean? I believe that God has made me and all creatures 